Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me tonight is Kendra Maurer and Morgana. And tonight we are very happy to welcome to our show Joshua Kutchen, author and folklorist and tuba player. Joshua Kutchen is a classically trained tuba player who also plays jazz and is a composer. He's also written five books on various aspects of folklore and the paranormal, including A Trojan Feast, The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch, The Brimstone Deceit, An In-Depth Examination of Supernatural Scents, Otherworldly Odors, and Monstrous Miasmas, Thieves in the Night, A Brief History of Supernatural Child Abductions, and Where the Footprints End, High Strangeness and the Bigfoot Phenomena, Volumes 1 and 2, which he co-authored with Timothy Renner. Welcome. Yes, yes. Usually I get a big sigh before tuba player. (laughs) (laughs) Tuba is cool. I'm sorry. I I think that's pretty cool. It's it's the Bavarian in you. I I actually had a gig today. Uh, Surprise, surprise. How'd it go? It went. It went well. It was. Uh, it was a retirement home gig, um, but it was. It was a gig. It was a paying gig, and uh, it was actually for somebody uh, who I think is going to lead to a lot of other good uh, paying gigs down the line. So, you know, it was outdoors and COVID free and all that. So it was nice. It was nice. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Like my like my seventh like my seventh gig this year because of COVID. Um, it was it was uh, it was traditional New Orleans jazz. Nice. I have a a friend who's a pianist down in New Orleans and is going through this very similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been really, really rough. You know, you can do, you can do like streaming online performances, but it's never, never quite the same. It's not the same if you like to play live. Well, you know, you finish, you finish a song and then it's just dead silence. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you gotta have a laugh track or not a laugh track and applause track. (laughs) A cheer track. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Was I good? I must have sucked. Oh God! Yeah, that would make me crazy. Yeah, I think the crazy. NFL even did artificial cheers. Yeah, they probably did. Oh yeah, they did, and they had the weird cardboard people. Yes, the stands that is just. I would have loved to have been a maintenance man during the filming of that because I would have started moving them, like popping <laughs> them up and down, and like sticking my head out, making ones with two heads. Like, oh my god. Oh, I know. And this is the, why they okay. don't let me outside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so technically we're a, a paranormal podcast, but uh we also like tubas in the NFL. Um so <laughs> clearly <laughs> we've already gone off off track as usual. Um so you've written several books that lean very heavily on fairy lore. How did you get into writing about fairies because i noticed that your 
primarily a musician. Well, that's and why. He knows they're going to come for him one day if he gets too good. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, fair. By merit of which, I'm not good enough right now. <laughs> um, no, um, that's a really good question, and I don't know why, but for the longest time, one of the things about um, the unexplained, the paranormal that always stuck in my head was that was that food taboo. You know that if you if you take food from the fairy folk, you'll be trapped in fairyland forever. And I don't know why, but it just absolutely stuck with me. Um, and you know, I was I was a monster kid growing up, and I was into you know all the monster movies, and I would look into Bigfoot and stuff. But at one point, I was really adamantly against. Um, not against UFOs. That sounds like I'm taking some sort of moral stand against UFOs, but we cannot have UFOs here. Yeah, no. I was, I was highly skeptical of it because I was like, well, it's too many different descriptions of craft and too many different entities, and you know, so there was that going on in my head, and also at the same time, um, my dad had shown me Close Encounters of the Third Kind way too early, which there's some there's some traumatizing stuff in, in some of those scenes for sure. Um, to the and it was I was I was I was like super terrified of the gray alien image to the extent that like I couldn't even see depictions of grays um, on TV or in movies or anything. Which you know there's a there's a line of thinking in abduction research that would say that that means that I must be an abductee. Um, I've heard that from some people. Or it but could I be that they're just scary. Right. I mean, you know, the whole scenario yeah, is scary. Little boogers. <laughs> if if I woke up in the middle of the night and there were like 10 gummy bears surrounding my bed, I would just, I'll be just as scared. It doesn't mean that, you know. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's just, it's the whole scenario is just off-putting and unsettling. So, but anyway, for whatever reason, um, so I had that going through my head and I kind of discovered the Jacques Vallée way of thinking about UFOs and, uh, you know, the, the, the component of the altered states of consciousness, um, you know, ideas about how that relates to the abduction experience. And, and for some reason that really unlocked it all in my head. It'd be like, Oh, I, this, this kind of makes sense. And it also kind of made it less scary for me because if, if there's some sort of consciousness component to the abduction experience, then you kind of have some sort of sovereignty in the entire experience. You know, you yeah. have, there's a foot in the door for you to be able to resist. Um, so uh, I, I guess that must be where it came from, but it's really been the the reward that keeps on giving. I mean, it's such a broad and deep area of folklore, and it has so many resonances to all sorts of different uh, paranormal unexplained things. And of course, you know, part of that is the fact that people used to throw around the word fairy like we throw around paranormal or supernatural nowadays but at the same time some of it is just it's it's people have been describing the same things that they've always described and uh i'm kind of convinced that you can take just about any aspect of modern unexplained paranormalia etc and and find some sort of analog in fairy folklore certainly for the alien contact alien abduction experience i mean i haven't found anything that that leads me to believe that uh those two are not you know, beyond reconcilable, actually quite complementary of each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Um, I was, I was raised uh, having fairy poetry and fairy tales, but not just, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales that fairies mm -hmm. don't generally 
are they're not generally in those. Those are folk tales. They're marching. They're the 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 household tales, but tales that actually had fairies in them. So I was kind of raised with those beliefs in a sort of backhanded way. Um, and so when I started reading about UFOs, I realized early on, well, you know, you see lights with the fairies, you see lights with the aliens, you see these things, these things happen. So when I was seeing lights at a very young age, I never thought of them as, as aliens at all, at all. And mm -hmm. it was, to me, it was fairies. Um, and so, yeah. Well, you know, the lights thing is an interesting one because, um, I mean, I, I, and again, don't let me say things you haven't heard me say a thousand times before, <laughs> but, but, you know, it really is so culture and context dependent the way that we interpret anomalous lights. Um, you know, in, in a lot of, uh, in a lot of African countries, they're sorcerer lights or witch lights. Witch lights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in, uh certain other parts of the world they're you know the spirits of of dead children or their corpse candles or their but it's always the same thing and you know nowadays a light in a haunted house is you know a ghost and a light in the sky is a ufo and a light uh you know around an ancient stone circle is a fairy light and a light somehow i don't know how this works out this way but a light <laughs> in the woods in the pacific northwest <laughs> is bigfoot um, <laughs> And I, and I say that like like I'm I'm skeptical of it. I mean, somehow there's a correlation there. I don't know what, but um, but yeah. Um, and it, I guess there, there's an elegance to the fairy folklore that's always been really appealing uh, to me. Um, and uh, yeah, it just, and I don't think that. I mean, I've said this numerous times too, but I don't think that aliens are fairies or fairies are aliens. I think that these are both really poor attempts to try to get to the actual reality of what's going on. Um, but they're just the best labels that we have, I think. I, I can agree with that. Um, and I, I do think that fairy lore is perhaps more glamorous than the modern alien. <laughs> yeah. You saw what I, see I what did, you did there. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Well done. We all saw it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But it is it is prettier. And actually that I'm going to use that as kind of a segue because something that struck me in A Trojan Feast was you asked the question that I have been asking of myself for years, which is why in God's name are people just eating shit that aliens are handing them? <laughs> Yeah, and and, I have yeah. a whole rant about this because <laughs> I think the Enlightenment messed everybody up because we became divorced from this huge old mythos and aliens are somehow creating a new mythos. Like Keel talked about that, Young talked about it, and I'm is Lay talks about it. That's like a bunch of concepts that I jam together poorly, <laughs> and for that no, I apologize. No. I mean, right. you could argue, you could, you could argue too that I mean, it's, it's sort of what Graham Hancock has talked about us being a, a species with, you know, collective amnesia. Um, it's almost, I mean, you know, as as my good friend and co-author Tim Renner says, like folklore exists for a reason, and it might not be the explicit reason why it says it exists. It might just be an object lesson or something, but it didn't just, you know, occur because of something entirely frivolous. As far as the thing about people 
taking food from <laughs> from strange entities. I guess I just like to imagine everybody like staring and, and breaking the fourth wall and shrugging their shoulders like they're in a Looney Tunes cartoon and going, when in Rome, <laughs> and just like right? popping whatever into their mouth. <laughs> um, no, but but uh, I, I think I think it's been so long. I, I don't always revisit the Trojan Feast um, as much as I do the other ones. But I think if I didn't say this, I should have um, that it really has something speaks to the fact that people are not in their normal operative states states of consciousness. Yeah, you did touch oh. on that. Um, yeah, and that's I, a good explanation for it. It is because yeah, I, mean, I oh. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I I having had the occasional fairy encounter and maybe again this is i've talked about this before you know mom beat it into my head at like age three like do not accept food and drink from strange glowing right. entities that you encounter don't do it don't do it don't take food don't take drink don't follow the lights don't step off the path don't follow the singing <laughs> So, like, I guess I just have the food taboo really strongly engraved on my brain, and I guess other people just don't anymore. Well, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if if that's if that's uh, if 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 it's just some sort of variation on stranger danger, and that's the reason this this you know occurred, then you know, it, it, as as you know, as sort of a, a folkloric warning, that makes as much sense as anything. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who have who've gone through the recovery process and, you know, using dreams is a very common thing where people are like, you know, using in their dreams and they wake up terrified that they were, you know, back on their substance again. And, uh, you know, that, again, speaks to the fact that some other part of your consciousness um, might be, uh, you know, at, at, in play. Was there a question? Is, was there a question? Oh, <laughs> I saw I raised no, no, I raised my hands because I'm like, I... I... We, my kids and I go hiking. We see something that look like looks like it might be a path. I'm like side quest. So we're we're the ones. We're 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 doomed. Yeah, I, I did that yesterday because I kind of just sometimes I like you know short of buying a Ouija board or yeah or uh, or you know literally trying to summon uh, an Enochian angel or something. I really like to try to push the phenomena because nothing ever happens to me. So yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, uh, you know, I'm not going to get missing four one one because nothing ever happens to me. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> so you don't need a sat phone and you're just going right. to step off and it'll be fine. Now in, so in woods today, I will go off of paths, but I always, when you were my three, phone. when you were three, it was a bad idea. Yeah, but I, I do still turn a bandana or my shirt or something inside out when I go in the woods. Maybe you're like the the uh, control for the grand alien experiment, and that's why nothing happens to you. Maybe that's it, or maybe I'm just I just I I have too many I have too many um, remedies in mind. They know you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like the MacGyver of getting your way out of fairyland, I guess. That, dude, that might actually be a thing. They're like, don't even try. Just yeah. Yeah, leave that one alone. He knows all the tricks already. And it won't no be fun. any fun. You know, it's, it's kind of funny that you should mention that um, nothing ever happens to you, but you know all these things. Um, Jacques Vallée, in his four volumes of Forbidden Science, which is his uh, journals over a span of 40, almost 50 years. Um, I read them. They're great because you get a history of the UFO phenomena and the people who were studying it in 
you know, he was writing it as his own journal. So he just, he just says what he thinks, you know, he just writes it all down and he's generally a very gentlemanly person. So he's pretty kind, but you can also tell there are times when he's just laughing his ass off at, at the, the absurdity of some things. Um, but also, you know, he, he deliberately went out of his way to try and interact with what he considered to be a non-human consciousness that was playing around with people. He specifically bought a piece of property where um, odd lights had been seen and, and where UFOs were commonly seen. He built a tower on it, you know, a, attached to the house that was there. And, and he went out of his way to, to fill the tower with all sorts of things that should attract this. And he never saw a thing. And the person who did have something happen was his wife. And she saw a, a white orb come dancing out of the woods and down the path toward her. And she watched it and nodded and went into the house and told him. And, you know, she was very French. She just sort of raised her hands and was like, I, I can't even, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and, but it was almost as if it was taunting him. It, it was as if it was saying, no, you know too much. I'm not going to play with you. No, 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 no. That's, that's really interesting. A really interesting way to look at it. I mean, it, every now and then I have to check myself because I'm definitely part of that sort of George P. Hansenian school of thinking about, you know, the self-negating quality and, uh, and, and the fact that whatever this is, um, is in such control that it's you're, you're not going to sneak up on it. You know, it's always, it's always a, it presenting itself is always a gift. You know, you hear these stories about, you know, grays or shadow people or things looking surprised, but I'm not, I'm almost pretty convinced. It's like, Oh no, you caught us. You know, it's never <laughs> yeah. actually, actually being surprised. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's, it's just like, if I have, um, you know, if, if I have, a toy that I don't want one of my 22 month old sons grabbing. He's never going to get it. Like I might let him hold it for a second or I might bring it right up to his face. You know, I mean, not that I'm torturing my children like that, <laughs> but, 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 but like I I'm setting the rules. I'm in completely control of the situation and you know, I can hide it in a place that he'll, he has no concept of it even existing. And I really do think that is the case, but you know, it does sound like a BS excuse when you're talking to someone and you're trying to, you know, when you're sitting next to them on the airplane and you're talking about what you do and why there aren't any photos of Bigfoot or whatever. When you start saying this, they're like, oh, really? That's, that's, you know, you're using that the space. Ex yeah. yeah. Um, for the same reason, like, you know, I talked uh, about how, you know, you'd leave your milk out for the pixies or whatever, and they, they wouldn't take the actual milk. They'd take the essence of the milk. And that's why the milk was still there the next morning. You kind of look at it and you go, yeah, that's your, that's your excuse because the milk's still there. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, you know, I, I have, I have some dark midnights of the paranormal soul about this stuff. Um, I really, I don't. I don't want to even say that I, I want to believe that it's that it's that it's real or whatnot because I've I've heard too many stories. I just think that some people are just really bad at at interfacing with this thing, um, whatever it may be. Um, 
you know, it's it's like I, I think uh, my my friend Red Pill Junkie um once described people like Richard Dawkins perhaps as being just like uh, like some people are you know born deaf or colorblind. He's just he's like or or tone deaf. He's he's god deaf. You know, um, you know the the interesting question of if you you know shoved a bunch of if you shoved a bunch of peyote down Richard Dawkins' throat, like would he see something? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, Probably. I, re- I really don't know. People yeah, rationalize it away, I'm sure. Oh so. yeah, um, but also I don't know. That would if you shoved a bunch of peyote down his throat and dragged him to a whole bunch of shamans. I feel like that becomes a slightly different question. But I'm also biased on the shaman <laughs> that's thing. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, so, so I always have a joke that with 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 uh, my wife whenever we go to a new area, I I always say that if I say this area looks squatchy, which I, I use the term ironically, if I say this area looks squatchy, it's going to guarantee that we don't see anything strange. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know um, yeah. So I, I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, you know, I have a bunch of friends who are like, well, you know, take five drag grams of psilocybin in silent darkness, and you'll you'll see fairyland. I'm just not there yet. I'd rather do it on the Natch if I could. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Psychotropic substances can be very useful and can be really intense and can also just be really fun. Well, you know, I was speaking with someone the other day about this and, you know, everybody's like, well, that was, that was Terrence McKenna's big thing. It was, it was like, you know, if you meet a skeptic, you can always say, do you have 15 minutes? We'll go behind the... <laughs> by the door here and just smoke up and, and, and you know that was his way of his way of saying that you know there's such a short short half-life for this thing in and out and your mind will be changed but people don't realize that if you have any sort of pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. it's kind of a dangerous thing to do there were people yeah. and there were people in rick strassman's um dmt experiments that had severe blood pressure spikes and they had to yeah. be administered um immediate medical attention which is good that they were in a hospital setting but those sort of things do happen so that's 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 my my yeah that's my I, chicken way of, of of rationalizing myself sorry i mean ahead. i i don't like like every other person in college i did some mushrooms for fun um and i discovered very quickly that they're fun but they're also work mm. Sounds because about right. they don't just do things for fun and I'm one of those people that it was very much this isn't I like to say it as basically the spirit world went hi where have you been we're yeah. gonna end we need to talk for eight hours <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah and like, every you, time you don't do serious they, like to me they're a serious shamanic tool almost more than like something you would just do on a whim or because you really really wanted to see something like obviously there's nothing wrong with people who do that but like if you're not feeling sure about doing a hallucinogenic substance well, to it's... see the spirit world, like don't do it. And also for me, I mean, twin toddlers. So like the idea of me having an eight-hour block of time set aside is not a real right? thing. That yeah, that it's... does not happen for a few years. <laughs> yeah, we're mm-hmm. gonna postpone that for a while. So yeah, totally. Maybe, maybe one day. I I definitely have plenty of people who would be willing to help me, but uh, I want to make sure. I really want to make sure that the setting part of the set and setting is is in the right space. Absolutely Very important. And having a guide might be useful because it it sounds like for you this would be much more of a spiritual 
seeking thing and less of a let's party and trip balls. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I had the same thing. Not a big surprise since I'm, I'm Morgana's mom. Um, I, friends in college would be like, come on, let's drop acid. Let's have fun. And I'm like, "Ah, it's not fun. Yeah. It's not fun. (laughs) It's fun for you. I don't, I don't, it's, I mean, it's not like it was bad. It's fun fun until it's not. (laughs) It's, it's fun because yeah. Okay. But I have to go talk to the spirits for 12 hours because it's acid, you know, and it's not a quickie thing, you know, so I'm going to go talk to the, the universe out there and you're going to be playing with cute lights and having a great time. So, you know, you do you. (laughs) It's almost, it's almost like people who engage. Okay. It's, it's, it's almost like, (laughs) I don't know. This is, no, that's not a good example. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good example, but people who engage in something that's really actually a serious, life-threatening activity, and they engage in it frivolously, and they're just sort of casual and blasé about it. I'm just trying to think of a good example, and I came up with skydiving, um, yeah, that's <laughs> rock, climbing, okay. rock climbing without a harness. Yeah, reason, yeah. No- noodling popped up in my head <laughs> as, as one <laughs> of those activities. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. If anybody Steve Irwin. Know what that is, if anybody doesn't know what that is, who's listening, it's where you reach your hands up the up underneath a riverbank and pull out catfish. And pull out catfish. Yep. Yep. Which is why I thought of Steve Irwin because the way that he interacted mm-hmm. with dangerous creatures mm-hmm. was, I mean, that's how he died because he was very exuberant and had a good time with it. He had a lot of energy, but you know. Maybe wrong he should have been a time. Yeah, maybe should have been a little more serious about it, and that you know, yeah. He, he was also very serious about it. I he, mean, was. he was a wildlife educator and rescuer, and everything. he did great work. But at the same time, every time I saw him on the TV, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to watch him die someday." Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to watch this man die. It's yeah. going to be terrible. And so I hated watching him on television. You know, all my friends are like, let's watch him. I'm like, no, he's going to die one of these days. Well, they won't put it on TV. Are you crazy? Of course they'll put it on TV. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's horrible. Uh, well, if he died, we would have already heard about it. It was taped last month. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Maybe, maybe autoerotic asphyxiation. Maybe that's the analogy. Yeah, that works too. <laughs> That works. It's all too. fun in games until it's not. Not until yeah. I know somebody exactly. died that way. I know yeah. people who die in the dumbest ways. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you, you there, have there, the luck. There, there are definitely some things where, like, if I'm ever in a dangerous situation, that's also kind of like not silly, but just like that'll be the dumbest thing to die of. Like, you know, if I if I cut my finger and it gets infected. I would be embarrassed to die of an infected finger, you know, <laughs> in the twenty first. I feel that. I well, we are just that. way off the rails, aren't we? Sorry about yeah, that. No, we it's are. fine. That's all right. Um, we were talking serious stuff there. We were talking well, about that, DMT talking and about things. Psychotropic substances is totally tied into all this, and yeah. analogies are useful. I don't know. Um, I one of the things I was going to say. I I know you haven't reread. Uh, Trojan Feast in a while, but I remember that was the first book of years I read. And it was the first one I read because let's see, all it, it, Thieves in the Night had just come out, so that's how I found out about your other books, but I read the one about food first because I'm a chef. 
So duh, of course, I'm going to yeah, read right. that one first. And as you were listing the different offerings that were given to the fairies, I realized something that I think explained to me a question I had always had, which is why are there certain things that you give to spirits? Hmm. Um, because when you give, when you give puja in Hinduism to the statues, which are a small embodiment of a very large God, uh, there are specific things that you give to each one of them. And it's a traditional thing, but, you know, things that are very common are sweets, milk or milk-based products. So milk, butter, cream, um, milk fudge, burfi, mm. uh, all sorts of those okay. things. Um, Wheat-based products or grain, grain-based products and fermented products. And I, I sit there and I'm reading this about, him, you know, the Hindu puja years and years before. And I was like, that's all the same stuff. You get fairies. Whoa. What's up yeah. with that? And, and, you know, you're not supposed to eat the fairy food after you give it out, even if it doesn't disappear. Because mm -hmm. the life for the, the answer is the life force is away from it. Well, I figure it's just as much that the fairies, once they know it's theirs, if you take it back, that's a bad idea. Um, yeah. That's, that's yeah, that, not something I would play with at all. But but interestingly, in Hinduism, it's the opposite. You give it to the to the gods, and then it's taken back. The gods give it back as prasad, and prasad is the blessed food. So the the gods touch it and take some of the life force, and then put some of their life force into it, and then the worshippers eat it. Which tells me the Hindu gods are nicer than the fairies. Um, but what I realized about the, the similarity in those offerings is those are all living foods. Mm. Milk, if it's not pasteurized, is alive. Mm -hmm. Fermented foods are alive. So Definitely. breads and uh, ale and alcohol, all of those are alive. Um, and then you have um, eggs, which are life itself mm -hmm. um, and then you have seeds and grains which like an egg is a self-contained miniature bit that will create an entire living being yeah so, there's there's like a fertility through line to all that yeah stuff too. like a yeah oh yeah and they're very very concerned with fertility and sexuality and mating and all of that you know, all the way to the greys. I mean, the Hindu gods are interested in all of that too, but the fairies to the greys, they're all fascinated with all of that. It's, but I thought it was interesting that they were living foods that were given so they could take the life force from it. That is fascinating. And I had not ever considered that. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I, I kind of halfway wonder... Uh, because these are sort of the ideas that I'm playing with right now. If the fact that it is bad to consume spirit offerings, but in certain in certain disciplines, it's okay to consume offerings made to you know greater deities. M maybe speaks to the hierarchical nature of some of this stuff. You know, um, mm -hmm. 
what I'm what I'm seeing a lot of and kind of what I'm exploring right now. And again, that this this there might not be anything to this, but it's just where my head is right now. Is um, I'm I'm drawing a comparison there between the way that some people claim certain areas, certain places are haunted because there's a real attachment to um, things of the earth, right? So it's that's why brothels and bars are you know in restaurants are always haunted because they're all about you know the the pleasures of the flesh and that theaters sort of, yeah and, and that sort of hungry ghost capacity if you're familiar with the oh yeah folklore and there's such a strong through line between those sort of lesser mag- lesser magnitude spirits and also the dead that kind of makes me wonder if we're not seeing two different two identical mechanisms at play for two different sort of classes two different genus of of entities here um, yeah that is something that mom and i and kendra have been kicking around with um because we we have a theory that is something that i'm see- oh my god that's my dog <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> i really hope i muted that for for the yowl um <laughs> Scotty, why? <laughs> okay, coming back. Um, hmm, I have been. There's always been a hierarchy and different classes of things in folklore and myths, you know, and this is repeated in alien abductions and alien contacts. Um, there'll be the three short grays with the taller one, which in fairy lore is usually you'll have like three kobolds with an elf or something. The the lords of the fae are usually taller than the lesser fae. Um, but there's also in almost every tradition, there's good guys and bad guys to make it extremely reductive, which I don't <laughs> think this phenomena is extremely reductive. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. <clears throat> um, and uh, I mean, it, it sort of speaks too to these sort of I've, I've alluded to them numerous times in some of my work. This, these sort of elaborate taxonomies that we get. Um, I mean, every every discipline of the paranormal turns into a Pokemon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. You know, there are there are like eighteen, eighteen or nineteen different types of aliens visiting Earth, and then so many different types of fairy folk, and then there's this line of thought in the Bigfoot community that Bigfoot are divided into like five or six subspecies. And it's just, you know, it, it really is, it really is the truest violation in some sense of, of what, while maintaining, while maintaining sympathetic to your original point, it is kind of a violation of, of Occam's razor when you're saying, Oh, it's you're, you're multiplying variables unnecessarily. Right. Right. It's a lot more sense for me to say there is one thing that we call Sasquatch and it, has a myriad of different shapes as opposed to being like, well, you know, according to my D and D stat sheet, <laughs> it looks like the type B Bigfoot is, you know, six D stronger than the, you know. Yeah. Um, One of the things since you mentioned hungry ghosts. <laughs> we gotta make sure that Aunt Teresa listens to this because he used the virtual Yoda voice. So <laughs> he, he has she has to listen to this. Um Anyway, when you mentioned hungry ghosts 
and and we had just talked about grays. That's one of the things that Morgana and I have been talking about um, since I read Whitley Strieber's last book, um, A New World. Mm. And I read that and it disturbed me a great deal. Um, have you ever read The Siren Call of Hungry Ghosts by Joe Fisher? No relation. This <laughs> is so uncanny um, because it's been in my radar a lot lately. Um, I'm, the, the short answer is no, but an excerpt you... from an excerpt from Where the Footprints End popped up in the September issue of uh, Society for Scientific Exploration, which also had um, an excerpt of some of Louis Proud's writing about that particular incident. And that was also just on the Astonishing Legends podcast. They did a two-parter on that book as well. So another little... You should read it then. I know. I know. It seems very... It seems like one of the more sober appraisals of what's going on in these situations. The thing that bothered me about the uh, Stryber book, A New World, was I, I know that he feels like he's in contact with his wife, Anne, and I'm happy for him for that. But I also think he's being manipulated um, when the Greys talk about you know, they can help us out of this ecological problem, but they want to essentially possess us. They want our life, they want to live our lives with us. And they talk about how, you know, let us in, let us have these life experiences where we are. We don't have these things. And I'm sitting there listening to that and I'm going, now, wait a minute here. That's sounding kind of, you know, weird. Yeah. That's sounding yeah. kind of creepy. And then Morgana, I was talking with Morgana about it. I'm like, this is really, this is bothering me. I feel like, I feel like he's such a nice person. And, and I feel like these creatures, I don't know that they have his best interests in mind and they just sound really creepy. And she busts out with mom, they're hungry ghosts. And I said, yeah. oh, oh. And then I couldn't get the sight out of my head, especially when I, you know, was doing some more research on hungry ghosts from a Buddhist perspective and found artwork that just depicted hungry ghosts and they're gray with big heads and spindly necks and long spindly limbs and kind of big bellies. They, they want to eat, but they can't swallow because their necks are so thin. And greys have no mouth, have really weird mouths and also don't eat. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> well, and, and, I didn't like that. And, and there seemed to be, I mean, you know, one of those things that recurs time and time again is this idea that, oh, the, the greys are interested in studying human emotion. They seem to be really obsessed with emotions. And I'm like, well, if you're looking at this from, you know, an ecology of an ecology of souls uh, perspective, which is the sort of working title, but maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> ah. But um, but if you're looking at it from that perspective, then of, of course, this is absolutely something that uh, that they'd be interested in. 
Just, mm-hmm. just trying to get a little bit more, one last taste of, of the way it is to have emotions, just to be able to feel anything. Yeah. 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 That, that, that is a little bit distressing. I assume you're, you're talking about the book that you're working on now that I heard a little bit about on where did the road go? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm still in that, that, that place where I'm like, does this have a shape that I think it does? And I've put a lot of effort into this. So I'm going to try to shape it into something worthwhile. And it does. It's just one of those things. It's just such a big, big topic but uh yeah it's sort of a uh it's a combination of my my theory of everything and also trying to unpack that wonderful lovely Anne streber quote of you know whitley this has, has something, something to, do, to with do with the dead what we call death which yes is what we call death a nice little nuance on that too what we call death um well the fairies so. were often seen in the in the barrow mounds in the and burial the places with the fae and the dead are seen with the fae and when robert kirk died at the foot of the fairy hill he wasn't actually dead but he was taken in amongst the fae yeah and and uh it looking at this stuff through that and i say this stuff looking at i can make or I'm starting to, to find in researching for this some very cogent arguments that can be made for bringing in Nessie, you know, Mothman, obviously, whatever, but you know, <laughs> like, you know, Lake Monsters, Mothman, Bigfoot, Men in Black, Fairies, uh, you know, Native American mounds, ley lines, all this stuff always just comes right back to, to death. Yep. It really, it really does. Um, and I know a lot of people aren't probably happy to hear that, but that's why I write stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just started well, saying, this is what you want it to be. No, you can't have it. <laughs> well, it, it does all come back to death. And death really and the does. spirit world are both one and the same or just different levels of the same other world in tons of cultures and traditions. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of wiggle room for this stuff. I mean, we could be looking at extraterrestrial ghosts, you know, um, we could be looking at, I think that that's something that people are, well, I'll keep my mouth shut because I don't want to give too much of it away, <laughs> especially if it's, if it's something that isn't, you know, a really rewarding path, but there are just so many different facets to this that you can really sort of, explore it within that death angle and i don't think that people really have done a lot of that so it's, it's at least not in looking at all sorts of paranormal things so it's going to be the it's going to be the book that is simultaneously the most and the least about ghosts <laughs> there's not going to be any ghost stories in it but it's going to be all about yeah death death yeah yeah so it's we'll- it's one of those um, subjects that uh, humans like to uh, avoid as much as possible. So that's why you may not make people happy with it. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't go down that path. The three things that you can't talk about at the dinner table are sex, death, and UFOs, right? You know? Now that's we talk about... I know, I know. We're terrible. <laughs> We're awful in all of them. We're awful. Uh, but... Uh... <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, it comes back to that that liminal threshold transitional thing. You know, birth and death, Eros, Thanatos. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Terrence McKenna was talking about uh, 
about he spoke he claimed to have spoken to a highly ranked uh, Tibetan monk who said that you know smoking DMT from what he could tell was like uh, bungee jumping into the bardo. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I love that image. It's a that is a good yeah. one. Yeah, I can see that. I can totally see that. Um, so I have a weird smell question. I don't think you have a weird smell, but oh, thank you. I have a weird smell. <laughs> oh my god! Now I have to read my horrible handwriting. You do make soap. <laughs> I I have soap. That's I give her soap every Christmas. <laughs> I y'all acting like I don't bathe. You bathe in hand sanitizer. <laughs> no, that's what swimming's for. You just swim in it. Um. All right, I'm lost. Somebody else go because now I'm distracted. Y'all ruined no, no. it. Her her brain is gone. <laughs> it, it left with the with the. All right, so. Since since we mentioned Bigfoot, Sasquatch, um, was it you or was it Tim who came up with the idea of the the poltergeist in the wilderness? I'm going to be extremely honest and say neither, because um, <clears throat> you know a lot of what I, in addition to you know trying to just bag on the extraterrestrial hypothesis. <laughs> Um, one of the other things that I, I really like to do is I like to find um, I like to find an idea that's mentioned in a bunch of different books in like it's a sentence in every in a bunch of different books or it's like a paragraph in a bunch of different books but nobody ever really teases that idea out. That's kind of what the brimstone deceit was. It's like oh sulfur happens sometimes. Anyway, let's move on. And nobody ever really <laughs> said, okay, well that's great. Can we can we can we you know explore this a little bit further? So the um, the poltergeist class B Bigfoot report thing um, have been talked about by a lot of people, um, including uh, including people like Lauren Coleman, uh, I think uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, I believe. Um, a couple of, of big names like that had mentioned it in the past, but they never said, well, let's take a look at this. And I don't think that any of them had at that point really drawn the connection between Harry spookums seen in seances and you know poltergeist activity looking like bigfoot activity and saying well you know poltergeist and seances and um poltergeist activity in bigfoot or squatchy areas um <clears throat> so i guess that i guess that part would be me but in in the interest of transparency and honesty it was sort of not me but i brought right. the chapter so <laughs> <laughs> we'll right. bring it on you and, and, we'll and you know, Tim is Tim is such a sweetheart. It's um, it really is. We didn't really know how to end up writing the book, but there's a good deal of Tim in my chapters and a good deal of me in Tim's chapters. It's just by merit. Oh, you do you look into this? Oh, I fixed this for you. And you know, you, you, yeah, that's really cool. I I was, I I wondered that because it did not read like alternating chapters written by different people. Oh, okay, well, that's great. Um. There was there was enough intermixing. Clearly, you guys read each other's work and edited it, you know, and and smoothed things. It it just it it went together fairly seamlessly, which is why I was like, okay, I got to ask which one of them because that blew my mind. And then I sat there and went, why the why the hell did I not think of that, you know? 
Jeez. Well, because you know, we're trying to silo this stuff off, you know? I mean, I think we're kind of condi- uh, not condemned, conditioned. Maybe that was a Freudian slip. We're all sort of conditioned at this point to keep these things separate. Even if you're interested in seeing how they mix and mash together, there's some things we just don't think about putting together, you know? Yeah. And, and and it's not like there's not precedent. That's the part that, you know, when, when I read it and my jaw, like, hit the, you know, book, because I was sprawled out on the bed reading it, and my jaw hit the book, and I was like, ah, oh, my God. Oh my God! And Zach's. I like, get a phone. I get a text at one thirty in the morning. Yep. <laughs> well, first, 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 your stepfather is like, "What? What?" Because I'm saying, "Oh my God!" over and over, and he wants to know, you know, did did she break herself? <laughs> yeah, right. Is a cat biting her? What? What's? There's something else happening that I should know about. What is happening? So he comes in and he's like, "What?" I'm like. Bigfoot poltergeist in the woods, the noise that we heard, the thing with the crashing and the, and the roaring and the things. And it's, it's a, oh my God, I sounded like Pilsy from, you know, the, the, Foamy the Squirrel. I was like, oh my God. And he was just like, well, oh, whatever. It's one of your weird books. Okay. I'm not going to talk to you right now. And then, so I texted Morgana, you know, it's Bigfoot, it's just boom, you know. And uh, why didn't I think of that? And yeah, you're right. We, I pretty much, as a kid, saw Patty in the Patterson-Gimlin film on, guess what, In Search of, big surprise. (laughs) And she looked so real. So to my mind, she was a solid, living, breathing, bleeding creature. And she was to my dad, too. There's still, even today, I can watch that and I I still get a little bit of a, you know, my, my breath catches and I go, oh... Oh my, you know, so it's still there. And and just because something can be alive doesn't mean that it can't also be a spirit. And, and it, 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 you know. No, I, I totally know what you mean. And, and look, at the end of the day, you probably heard me say this a thousand times too, but like, I would love the idea that there's a flesh and blood Bigfoot. I really would. Um, but, you know, you can't just say that this other stuff doesn't happen. Um, oh, that's, that's bad yeah. science. Well, I'm, I'm certainly not a scientist, but um, but it's still bad science if you're a scientist. Yeah, I, I would maybe to say ignore data. I would say, well, I would say it's sort of intellectual dishonesty, but um, okay. But you know, I I really do like you know, a couple of different things that it might mean because people are like, "Oh, you're saying Bigfoot's a ghost?" And no, I mean, like there are a couple of different things that it might mean. The thing that I love is this idea that you no know, Bigfoot is flesh and blood. Bigfoot's just a strange attractor for poltergeist phenomena. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then again, like, you know, obviously, again, a lot of the things that you see in poltergeist phenomena, we've observed primates doing and stuff too. I kind of halfway wonder, um, if you couldn't just sort of like, you know, we, so I came up with this Vildness Geist idea. If you couldn't just basically do the same thing, just write a book about poltergeists in other areas of the paranormal, right? Because it's, it's another one of those things that happens in everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, abductees after their abductions and uh, UFO people, UFO people and uh, the fairy lore, witch lore, um, uh, 
I've he- haven't heard about it with Lake Monsters, but I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> Mothman. There were some Mothman witnesses who had, po- you know, po- yes, too. yes, so, absolutely. You just, you just make an entire. <laughs> as long as we're into elaborate taxonomies, right? You got the Vilnius guys <laughs> and the Poltergeist guys, and you got the Moth Mothmensch guys or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it, it went, when I when I thought about it, though, I was like, oh, well, the Bell Witch. So the Bell Witch in Tennessee in the, what, 1817 is when it started. Um, a, a man named John Bell had a farm. There was a cave near his farm. And in it supposedly lived an old haggish lady who was supposedly a witch. And she cursed him. She asked him for a favor. I don't even remember what it was, but he said no and told her to get off his property. And she said, you'll rue the day, John Bell. And then poltergeist stuff started happening in his house, in his cabin um, with his children and with him. And there was pounding on the walls so loud you couldn't eat dinner. They'd sit down to dinner and there'd be this pounding and there'd be pounding on the roof as if footsteps were up there and they'd run out of the house and there'd be nothing there. And, you know, all of these things, he, he got sick, rocks fell from inside the house, but then they would go along the road and be accosted in their fields or along the road on the way towards where the bell witch's cave was. Um, and then I made a noise and, um, she, this went on for years and years until he died. Um, and of a fairly mysterious illness, but I mean, it was the early night, early 19th century. It could have been anything. Um, but you know, the, even, I think it was Andrew Jackson went to visit him because they lived near the hermitage Sounds about right. and yeah. on his way, his horses were accosted by an unseen force. Hmm. And there were, there were, there were stones being thrown and there was, you know, something was in the corn, but it wasn't people because of course he's sitting up on his horse and it wasn't fully grown corn yet. So he could see the, the corn moving, but there was nothing there moving it that he could see. I mean, it's wilderness cost, but that also, that falls right out of a fairy tale yeah. exactly you yeah. you pissed off the old fairy lady living in the cave and right. she says a boggart upon you basically it, yeah or the old witch maybe or the old witch, witch because or... haggy old ladies are cranky well, you know? yeah. so number one i had never really thought about that in my my bell witch knowledge is kind of a little bit of a little bit of a blind spot so that but that's that's a, a really fascinating angle on it that i hadn't considered um i uh i think what's interesting too though that sort of what you're talking about and what and what i think we're all sort of um sort of bringing to light with our conversation a little bit is that um i think it's time to retire and I have it on good authority from some of my friends. That this is sort of the direction that the psych community is moving in. I think it's kind of time to retire that mildly kind of pervy adolescent teenage girl being the focal point. 
idea, right? Yay! It's always kind of a little lechery, but um. <laughs> oh but, yes, no. It's, right, it's like, obviously yeah. her hormones are out of whack, and she's had something terrible, and that's why there's a poltergeist. Although there... I've also accidentally spawned poltergeist <laughs> phenomena, oh, so enough. who knows? But, but, but what what it seems to be, I think, according to some of my friends, and like this is the direction that we should be seeing the the field going in the next couple of years is that um, latent large scale PK is stress induced. Um, and I think really, if you look at the, if you look at the literature, it kind of, I really don't really know where that whole, like, you know, adolescent prepubescent, you know, it's old. It's, it's, it's an old idea, but like there are plenty of cases that don't that really boys. fit that model. Yeah. Who was talking? Oh, we were talking. We were talking about the the prepubescent girl or the pubescent yeah, girl, why that was the thing. which is kind yeah, of misogynistic but... if you think about it. So if if uh, if we're getting rid of it, can we? Can, I clap. I, I, yeah, I, it, it definitely. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, as three of us are. are Former prepubescent girls were happy to see this de-emphasized because that shit got old. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I think it might. I really do think it might have been one of those. Well, I think it might have been an honest mistake in terms of they were mistaking, they were doing that whole you know, uh, causation correlation mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, a lot of a lot of households have angsty youth. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and many things were blamed on female hysteria. Like, just everything, really, was blamed on women's emotions. Like, your leg could have fallen off in the Victorian era, and you would have been told it's because you were upset about something. And it sort of reinforces the, you know, the the witch stereotype, too. Oh, yeah. 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 And maybe there might be, like, an archetypical something there, too, because there's that... I, th- I mean, I think, yeah, I think, I think there is. I think it's the, the fact that men don't understand women. Yeah. And so they're mysterious. And because they're mysterious, they're magical. And we, we're mysterious and we and, make life. And woo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and should be feared if you get on the wrong side of them. Right. I mean, it's all, no, that's it's, fair. It's yeah. all tracked. That's fair. Yeah, um, uh, especially if you're not the one who cooks, you really should be worried about that. That's true. Like, especially if you happen to know a witch, because I'm. Mm, no. I have never, ever, ever put nightshade in anybody's food ever, ever, ever. Notice she mm-hmm. didn't mention drink; she just said food. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Oh well, yeah, maybe. Can't but... see how many fingers are crossed either. So. <laughs> see. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Um now see my my counter on my uh computer is lying to me. I don't know. I have no idea how long we've been talking. Um so I'm screwed Sign now. Huh? Sign of a good time. Yeah. yeah. That's that's true also. Um yeah, another thing I was I was wondering about do we consider disembodied voices poltergeist phenomena? Is that a thing? Because that happens in things like the Bell Witch and uh, 
hauntings and fairy things. You hear voices or you hear music. And everyone's life. I mean, I, you know, I, I've had this, this long-standing idea that we have like five or six paranormal supernatural things happen to us a day, but we were just, we're just conditioned to be like, I guess it was nothing, you know, and <laughs> just don't even give it a second thought. I, I sometimes hear people say things like, where would that come from? Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it's one of those all fish swim, but not all things that swim are fish sort of scenarios. So I think, yeah. that, I think that, that makes sense. it happens in a lot of poltergeist cases, but I don't think it's exclusive to them. Yeah. Especially especially if you want to start parsing out like, you know, the ghost hunter nerds do and say, Oh, this is an apparitional haunting or this is a you know, this or that or the other with all their classifications of things because a full torso roaming apparition. Yeah. 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 With for some reason I've never gotten, Yeah, for some reason I've never really gotten deep into that like super categorical uh ghost hunter thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, get, they get so specific and they act like it's all tidied up and I'm like, I'm still trying to get on board that they're dead people, you know? Humans <laughs> like, <laughs> do like their labels. We, we do. It's how we think. Everything mm -hmm. goes in a box. A neat and tidy box. Mm -hmm. And then there's... Even, I, I think we're all... Nobody's fully immune to that, but I do think once you start looking into the paranormal the boxes just all kind of get burst open and it's just a pile and a yeah. tangle and you're just sitting in the middle of it going, okay, this thread goes over to that thing and then it's going to go over here. And then I, you never find the ends of the threads really. Yeah. I, I want to talk to you about X, but to talk to you about X, I have to talk to you about W and E, but you won't understand this part of E unless you already understand this part of X. So I have to, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> to say nothing of the fact that we get, we're trapped in our own language. And, yes. 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 And our own perception of everything yes. on top of being trapped in language. Cause your brain, I actually really liked that you talked about that is that your brain is essentially just filling in gaps and isn't fully processing everything from your senses a hundred percent all the time. Oh yeah. We have dampers because on our senses. I've been, I've been telling people that and it was so nice to read it in a book about the paranormal too. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's a, there's a book that Soraya talks about a lot, which is this the the Invisible Gorilla. You heard about this? So it's now now that I've told you, I'll spoil it for you, I guess. But um, there was a video that was going around on the internet a couple of years back of, you know, and it's in the and the guideline was to to watch the basketball with these people passing the basketball back and forth, and, and you know, in in like a, a thirty second basketball you know game. And at the end of the video, it says, okay, you, you watch the basketball. Did you see the gorilla? And like <laughs> most people will be like, what? And in the middle of the video, and this happened to me. I remember this, seeing this happen at the time in the middle, in the middle of the video, there's a guy who walks through the, the team in a gorilla in suit, a gorilla suit. <laughs> and most people don't see it because they're, they're trying, you know, they're, they're, they're expecting something to happen with the basketball. Yeah. So if it works that way, it could obviously work. You know the other way. Some you know, people, I think, are wired to see the gorilla, though, and yes. I think that's part of why some people see or hear or experience more things than other people do, because something in our wiring is a little bit weird. Well, it's it's like I mean I know this is passe, but it's a great object lesson that you know red or I'm sorry blue or gold dress that was on Twitter or the oh yeah Laurel Yanni thing. I never really. 
never really got the Laurel Yanni thing. There's one that's like there's shoes. Brainstorm- are- there's one that's brainstorm brain needle. That's really weird. When I hear it, I can make it switch when I listen different ways. But sorry, shoes about shoes. Yeah, there's yeah, a pair there's of shoes one. that are gray and pink or green and they're like mint and. Mint. I can see them in my head, but I can't remember. They know the gray and the pink, and then there's mint and light blue. I think it's mint and blue. Yeah. Mm. And well, anyway. what's weird is I can look at it and see it both ways. Right. And and obviously, there is an answer to that. But the fact that you can perceive it that way, one or the other, says that perception is a really finicky thing. One, yeah. of, the, one of the times that I realized that psychoactive drugs don't just they don't just show you things that are in your mind or imaginary things they show you things that are there that you could experience every day but your senses have been dampened and i realized sitting there that you know if our senses weren't dampened we'd be crazier than you know, we'd be bug nuts. We'd be completely crazy with that much sensory input because there was one night and it was another one of those, you know, my friends were inside the house, three stories down, giggling and laughing and having a great time while I was sitting on the the patio outside talking to the moon and the, (laughs) the clouds. And I heard this sound and I was like, what am I listening to? And I realized I was listening to chewing what was chewing was horses across the road and down the hill in their pasture chewing grass. Holy I could cow. hear them biting it off and chewing it. And then I actually decided to listen and I could hear their tail swishing away flies. Mm-hmm. I could hear the sound of the tail going across their haunches. And I was just like, Oh my God. And then, so I decided to listen further and as far out as I could listen and listen to all the things and that's when I realized that's part of our senses are kind of dulled down. They're turned down from 11 to, you know, around three for most people. We would go absolutely mad. I think, and I may be making this up. I may have read it in a book, but it, I think I've, I think I read this at one point that we literally have to sensitize ourselves to things like clothing. Yes. You know, if mm-hmm. you waited until you were, you know, 15 to put on your first shirt, it would drive you insane. Yes. But but yes. by merit of the fact that you wear it early and you wear it often, you just sort of end up shutting that out. Yeah. Because it's because you know your your perception is it's all about sort of like uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like canvassing. It's all about sort of it's all about, you know, fill, like you said, filling in gaps and, and oh yeah. Reducing reducing well, redundant information, I guess. It's novelty that we look out for. Well, and the the basic function is survival. And you can't yeah. take it all in and survive at the same time. You yes. have to be able to <laughs> yeah, exactly. focus on some things now and again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's not important to see the thousands of leaves all at once moving in the tree <laughs> individually. It's important yes. to see the fucking tiger that's jumping at your face off the branch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's the important part. And it was funny yeah. because I was brought back to that thought because I did a. Uh, an exercise and it was a, a mental illness support group and they did, they had us do an exercise. We were talking about non neurotypal people. And so, you know, five or six people were doing all of these different things 
at the same time talking. They were talking about different things. They were reading different things. They were making different sounds. And we were supposed to close our eyes and try and write down everything that we heard or experienced. Mm. And it's very overwhelming. I was the only, and, and it was funny because I was the only one who could write it down, probably because of that, that acid trip with mm -hmm. the moon and yeah. the horse butt and the horse chewing, <laughs> you know, because I realized that, oh, I can extend my senses out. So I actually was the only one who wrote it all down. And, and the woman who was conducting the exercise said this, it, because everybody else was pretty much, oh my God, it was so overwhelming and confusing. And she said, this mm. is what a lot of non-neurotypical people experience. And so this, it was, it was to make us feel how they felt and, and to understand a, a little bit better. And I, so I had to raise my hand and go, okay, so I know you're not going to narc on me, but I mean, this was, you know, 20 some years ago anyway. <laughs> right, so, right, right, right. you know, even if you did, it, it wouldn't matter. And I told them and they were like, oh, and I'm like, okay, so now you're going to tell everybody to go drop acid and sit out in the, the woods and listen to everything. And that's how Don't everybody that. feels. But just know that our brains actually do what their brains do is they can't shut it off. Right. And we can. Yeah. And that, makes, that makes sense. It's really, really, it would be maddening. Oh, and, yeah, I, no, I, I couldn't couldn't dare imagine um yeah it's it's really interesting though the fact that that one experience allowed you to be able to keep track of those different sort of parallel parallel conversations well that and i'm nosy <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we're also from West Virginia, so expert, this is trained Southern Lindy nosiness. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> What's going on over there? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it's just, and this is this is the, the, the hill that I will die on, it's just the fact that, like, we, we the establishment severely underappreciates the role of consciousness and all this stuff. Um, and, and how malleable it is and how fundamental it is to all these conversations. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things I was happy to have happened, uh, with where the footprints end is that, you know, I, I've, I've long said the last group of people who are interested in the unexplained to actually like appreciate the questions that consciousness brings up are the cryptozoologists. Cause you know, there's, yeah, there's this real, uh, as long as we're calling out disciplines, <laughs> there's this real, like colonialist imperialist thing with cryptozoology that i just and look uh, to be completely honest i'm not the person to like make these sort of you know uh to, to, to jacques about different disciplines but <laughs> i was just i was looking back through some cryptozoology encyclopedias and stuff and it's like this probably meant that they misunderstood this for this and it's like you know oh really yeah. well it's it's like it's like you know oh well it, yeah. the, the the tribes didn't actually see bigfoot disappear bigfoot was probably just quite agile like other primates are and i'm like yeah, not only number one are you saying that these people didn't know what they were seeing, even though they were much more familiar with this environment than you ever will be, but you keep on walking that sort of like line of thinking back, and you might as well begin with the starting point of, well, Bigfoot's a bear. 
You know, it's like, well, yeah. they, they thought they saw this, but they actually saw this. And you wind up by saying, well, they thought they saw Bigfoot and they actually saw a bear. And it really is this through line of like, of people who are, or, you know, of researchers who are, who are on the one hand, like wanting to mine as much as they can from indigenous testimony, but at the same time trying to cram it into that Western scientific box as hard as they can. And uh, anyway, it's gross and I don't like it. So there. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you know, the ancient aliens crowd has gotten a lot of criticism on this sort of similar. <laughs> but crypt- cryptozoology, it's, 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 it's like that meme of that little monkey puppet <laughs> that's giving you the sideways look. I can't handle the ancient aliens thing. I can't. I, I had a boyfriend at the time, not this one, the one before this one, who loved that show, and I could not. Yeah, the, my, my biggest problem with that line of thinking is that, I mean, sometimes the stuff that they point out on, for example, that show is really interesting and novel and unique. and Yeah, sometimes it's cool. Strange stuff. I mean, granted, like, you know, did alien Jesus kill the dinosaurs is a little bit silly, but, mm-hmm. um, but when it's... what. What the question never seems to come up of, 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 you know, how, how advanced mankind has been at some point. And that's, I think we have been, you know, as a species capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. Yeah. That's what has always bothered me. I'm like, but we, we know how they built the pyramids guys. It, it, It pulleys, levers, manpower, Sand. Yeah, I've heard some interesting ideas. There's a really interesting uh, guy who um, had a theory that involved um, sort of like locks that you sort of like uh, you could build up and break down locks Mm -hmm. and you would actually get floating. Really cool ideas like that. And even, you know, other ideas like um, if you look at some of the uh, the diorite sculptures that are machined so well um it, 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 we, none, nobody really ever entertains the idea and this is something that gordon white talks about in his book starships the idea that you know we sort of as a culture trade in well at one point we traded in metal as being like the thing that we make everything out of but now we make everything out of plastics was there at some point a culture that could use stone and mold stone in a way similar to the way that we mold plastic and that's what we're looking at which I think is kind of an interesting idea too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, plenty of other ideas besides, you know, aliens came down and did everything for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like aliens were aliens were the older brother and who did our homework for us. It's like <laughs> no, it, I always th- felt like if they were going to be like that, it's like when you can't beat a level of Mario and you have to have your big brother do yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> like you can't get past the second save point. Yep. We we can't be the Iron Age. Can you can you come help us, please? <laughs> like, yeah. Show us um, how it works. <laughs> now, all, all this being said, gods of various types, gods and spirits, have there's plenty of myths, including in indigenous cultures, where they do give you things. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how tobacco came to be. Was it was given. And tobacco is one habit I'm trying to kick right now. Very moderate success. <laughs> um, and two is a, I'm going to say this wrong. 
<sighs> trigeminal stimulant, which oh. I already knew. Trigeminal stimulant. Trigeminal. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You're good. It's, no, you're it's good. a word that I've never heard. I've only read. <laughs> but we all know exactly what it is. What's this described? Yeah. You, you know. You take a big, um, you take a big whiff of vinegar, and it's, you feel it in your face. Exactly, you get the tingles. Mm -hmm. um, but it also has. Okay, I'm part native. Was raised that way by my grandfather. Went to powwows. He told me a bunch of the stories. Um, it's a part of my like culture. So it's not just here. This is something that will help you make contact with the spirit world because you know a shaman will use it to sort of wake up. A little extra is mm -hmm. the best way I can explain that altered state of consciousness. It's less let's hallucinate and more let's be super awake and aware mm -hmm. and in tune instead of it's almost like you're tuning into a different wavelength. Um, but the smoke of it carries your prayers to great spirit when you burn it, mm -hmm. which is very burnt offering. Yeah, it's the same, same concept, um, yeah. So that was given to us. Um, and then there's a really interesting reversal of that in Christianity, where instead of giving a sacred burnable plant to carry prayers and be used in sacred ceremonies, the wise men bring Jesus, frankincense, myrrh, and also gold. Right. So it right, maybe right. need gold. Yeah. But gold yeah. ties into weirdness. <laughs> I hope it was a big enough piece he wasn't going to put it in his mouth. <laughs> Mary had to hold on. To Did that. it come with a choking hazard? <laughs> like I just, I worry. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting. I'm not as well versed in the um, in the the tobacco mythology of of First Nations people as I should. Is it is it kind of Promethean in that sort of like yeah civilizing kind of. trickster it's... sort of way? Like this is something from if... the other world that I'm giving you. Yeah, it it was great. There was a God, it depends on the tribe. Um, the story I remember um, being told is Star Woman brought it. Mm. The Iroquois creation um, story. Yeah, Star Woman brought it. And she also, fell out of the sky. You no, know, as far as like the sort of the perceptual change in tobacco wasn't uh, like tobacco that was here in America centuries or millennia ago of a different quality than I do believe so. I feel like I've so heard that. Yeah. I, again, this is what I've been told by my grandpa who was told and read this stuff a long time ago. So I also only speak for, I know Cherokee and a lot of the other Eastland Woodland stories. I don't mm. know. The further Southwest we go, the less I know about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, but but with so many of these stories, and I would even say this at like a you know at a ten thousand foot global level, if you strip away enough things, all the stories start to sound the same. Yes. You know, oh yeah. That, that 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 civilizing trickster motif of of bringing something, some sort of knowledge from elsewhere. And... Yeah. Um. It was it was brought to us to bring consciousness to celebrate peace to carry your prayers it's it is a sacred sacred herb that's also very ubiquitous it's gifts for the gods it's gifts for each other it goes in a peace pipe it's part of a pipe ceremony of you know oneness and everything like that it is an extremely ubiquitous sacred herb 
much like sage or cedar or sweetgrass. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in sort of a, a quasi sort of animus way. And, you know, you talk to these people who are like, you know, well, I can drink, I can drink, uh, you know, clear liquor, but if I get brown liquor, then it'll, 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 you know, mess me up or I, I turn into a monster whenever I have, you know, this or that or the other. And, and, uh, and I, I really do wonder what that is, you know, um, cause you know, chemically I'm sure that there are other, you know, something like tannins and other aspects involved, but like in terms of the ethanol content, it, if it's the same, proof it shouldn't really matter but sometimes i really wonder if there isn't like you know a a bourbon egregore and a tequila egregore and uh, <laughs> it probably and, uh, is i really i really do think so um, um well beer was very was early alcohol was also very sacred mm -hmm. um and was taught to you and given to the gods and also by the way tobacco is both a sacred herb and a spirit Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that, yeah, that's it's yeah. And, and that, well, in that sort of animistic sort of way of way of thinking, I guess that's yeah. That's, thank you for bringing me back around to that because yeah. that's that's sort of what I was driving um, at. Um, and I think that I think that culturally we're really all the poorer for not thinking of things in that way. Um, I being a practicing animist, it's great. Mm -hmm. Well, you know. <laughs> also, I, well, you know, I, I, I've thought about this too some lately is I, I've started really engaging with pareidolia. So, mm -hmm. so you, 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 you might've heard me talk about this, but I, 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 for so long we're taught that like, Oh, well that face in the stump isn't really a face. It's just your mind sort of matrixing. And I'm sort of nowadays I'm kind of going, well, what if it's that and it's something more, you know, what if it, what if it is just a, a series of, of, you know, of, of bark, wrinkles and whatnot that sort of looks like a face but what if it actually is something with with meaning and intention behind it and really sort of engaging with that i think makes for a little bit more of a re-enchanted landscape that's for sure yeah well and it is it, i feel so weird saying this and one it's weird to say practicing animist because i'm like what what does a practicing animist really have do? you not gotten right, it right yet right. You gotta like, keep practicing until you get it right. Just, you just wander around and accept that everything's alive and you shouldn't be a dick. And that's like yeah, it. Pretty essentially. much. Um. Kendra, do you remember the last time we went to the falling down the hill house? Yes. Yeah, so I was thinking about that when we said it. Is the, uh -huh. eyes in the eyes in the well. Yeah, we yep. took a... There was a place that uh, I used to live here in Athens that the house is now been t torn down it it was burned and it, it was torn down but lots of weird things happened at that house and lots and lots of paranormal activity occurred which that was the place where i taught morgana don't follow the lights don't listen to the music in the woods mm -hmm. don't da, 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 da. and it was for very good reasons because there were things out there doing things and i saw them all the time and heard them all the time my husband didn't see things except the very last night we were there but he heard things mm -hmm. um like one night we were about to fall asleep and we heard horses racing past with riders the 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 harnesses and the tack jingling and squeaking you could hear the squeak of a saddle where someone was shifting their weight so we run to the window because it's like who, what jackasses are out there at three in the morning 
right? And, and there weren't anybody. There was nobody. There was nothing. But we could still hear them. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a bright moon night, so you couldn't miss it. You know, it wasn't like it was dark. Um, yeah. So that house was weird. That house was very strange. Lots of very strange things happened. Um, so Kendra and I went back last year was last winter. Yeah, it must've been cause it was recent, but it was right before the COVID March, thing. I think it yeah. was in, um, it was right before, it was before my birthday. It was right before that. Yeah, it was, it was in February. So it was cold and crappy. Of course the house wasn't there, but the, we found the wellhead and I took a picture of it. And we took a bunch of pictures of the trees and the woods. And the woods were really interesting because they were completely overgrown with vines. Mm. And it was pretty interesting. Kendra could walk through the woods just fine. Yeah. Everywhere I went, something grabbed me. She got hung up. And especially when we started to leave. Mm-hmm. Kendra could leave, but everything was just reaching out. Life. I had briars. I was pulling. It was like I was trying to get away and something was grabbing. <laughs> it, yeah, it was it remembered really, me. Yeah. That that was yeah. weird. <laughs> Your poor face. <laughs> Josh is like, mm -mm. yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, uh, but I'm also just. It, I think it's not the fact that that happened to you. It's the fact that it happened to you going back to a place that you had left. Yeah. You know, the fact that it's like pulling well, you. Yeah. And the landscape has ch had changed. They had cut a road through the woods a little ways uh, past where the house used to be, used to be. And even just pulling up to the, to the land, I got the sense that it just felt injured. Like it could yeah. feel like, it had been injured and that was an odd and I didn't realize the road was cut at that point. It's very, it's very, uh, it's very Hill house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was. So we took all these photographs and mm -hmm. it wasn't until I came home and edited them and posted them on Facebook for some of my weirdo friends. And they're like, do you see the faces in those pictures? And I was like, there weren't faces when I took the pictures that I didn't see in at all. You know, then I look and their eyes in yeah. the well, two red eyes that I think are berries of some sort. Right. But it sure as heck looks like eyes yeah. peering up out of the darkness. Uh, there were faces all through the trees and in the vines. And then I started looking at the vines and it looked like structures. Yeah. It mm. looked like structures. And, you know, some of the places I had yeah. a hard time getting through were like sort of like doorways and gateways yeah. made out of arches of, of old grapevine and stuff. It was creepy. Yeah. And it, it didn't really hit me as creepy until we got home. And until yeah. I looked at the pictures and I was like, Oh, Oh, Oh yeah. dear. Yeah. And, I, and I think that like, I think that we just as a, I say we, and you know what I mean? Extremely yeah. that up for the West or whatever, modern man. I think we just, we just, we're like illiterate children just staring at a at a book, and you know it's it's there, it's on the page. Does it is you know does it, if I you know does it literally mean that, uh, you know, Jack and Jill ran up the hill? No, it's 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 written down on the page, but that's what it says. Right. And I think that we've just really lost the ability to to read things like that. 
raid the landscape. Yeah, it's really interesting. I had a, the opportunity to, to, to drive uh, Randall Carlson up to, to um, Nashville a couple of years ago. You know, Randall's all into uh, looking at a lot of what he looks at is basically looking at a lot of uh, geographical features and how they on the macrocosm really mirror a lot of smaller fluid dynamics and streams and whatnot to him suggests that it's you know indicative of of a great flood but driving from georgia you know over the mountains to nashville with him was just it was just like he was reading the terrain like a book like we would pass by see that that looks like this and that looks like this it's just like you don't realize how how good we can become at reading some stuff like this Uh, it was like um like the Polynesians, um, the way that they could literally look at, you know, plankton patterns in the water and get their bearings or, you know, what mm-hmm. types of birds were coming through at t- certain times of year or the way that the sun refracted and all this silly, crazy stuff. Yeah. It's really subtle, subtle current. It's, it's fascinating stuff to read about, but like the way that they could actually tell, like the way that subtle currents would move like a bobber in the water. They'd be like, oh, we must be here close to this and that and the other. And we just don't have that vocabulary anymore. Well, part of that, it's because their livelihoods and their lives, their survival depended right. on noticing these tiny little details. And the smallest detail could be the difference between dinner and not dinner. Yeah. Those Pacific Islanders couldn't work Zoom back then, could they, though? <laughs> <laughs> right. Our, our priorities are, but it's just, our priorities are so out of, out of yeah. whack. Like we're, we're really, we're really good and sophisticated at all this artificial nonsense. And it really doesn't. Well, our basic survival yeah. skills have changed. Yeah. Or, or the, yeah. What is required of us to survive has changed since then. Yes. Yeah. And but the, you can still learn some of the old yeah. things. Like it's it's not the it's not like you know a gland that we don't use and it becomes stunted. Like although you although can relearn some things. Although I would argue that like probably with with what we know about neuroplasticity and stuff, to say nothing of like the sort of successive generations, I I bet our brains would look. And are probably wired a bit differently than. Oh yeah, yeah I'm sure they are. But but um, you're but you're right. I mean, it's conceivably, it's something that we should have the ability to do. But it's like you know, it's like I I'm the only one of my in my generation that I know of who writes in cursive because <laughs> they just stopped teaching it and now yeah. nobody writes. In I, yeah, I write in cursive. My mom to, made so. me write in cursive. She got a. They cursive still taught us book. in school. Oh, that's cool. They, you they were taught in West Virginia. In West Virginia is at least ten years behind everybody else, baby. It always has been. I grew up there too. I'm allowed to say that. I, <laughs> grew up, I didn't say it. I was born in '65. <laughs> I know you're from North Carolina, so yeah, I know yeah. you look so at West much Virginia. Better, and go, oh, Tidewater no. boy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I grew up in the we grew wild this... rice in the original colonies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. While we were still jumping over stumps and whatnot, yeah, <laughs> us mountaineers were problem children from the beginning. We are still problem children. Yeah, we what are still you talking are. about okay, better example. People. Better example. I remembered reading, listening to that to the uh, to the S Town podcast, and how that guy was like one of the last few old school watch. Uh, yes. Watch repairmen, you know, or it's like shoe repairmen. I don't yeah. see a lot yeah. of shoe repairmen now. We throw everything you know. away. Yeah, exactly. Which is weird to me 
because I grew up in West Virginia yeah. and we was Poe and I was raised by people who survived the depression and world war two. So we saved everything. I mean, how about that? And I just grew up not be wasteful, you know? Yeah. 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 Same. I mean, you know, and, but there are still people who do know how to do some of these things. And I, oh, yeah, this I is a do super American conversation too. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the idea that you'd be having the same conversation with, you know, someone in Island Southeast Asia about throwing out a pair of shoes that is, they're looking at us like, what, what is wrong you with you? Um, no, we can fix that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all over the Western world, people are, starting to reconnect with old ways and you see this in the emergence of wicca and neo-paganism so hard he took the words right out of my mouth i really think so even um, though it is a reconstruction and a new religion we like to call it the old religion but it's not that right old. yeah right um i think if you wanted to give it a pedigree, I say that Gerald Gardner, when he was stationed in Sri Lanka, came into contact with Tantra and westernized it and said, oh, well, you know, I could do this. And, and there's, you know, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that there was never a moon goddess and an antlered god, but he kind of took some Eastern beliefs and Western stuff and put it in a blender with a lot of the traditional witchcraft that happened in the hedges of uh, Britain. And he just sort of pushed the button. And then he met up with uh, Doreen Valiente who put poetry to it. Thank well, God. You know, synchronization <laughs> is, is such an aspect of all religion. It's kind of hard to say. Oh yeah. You know, this isn't the, the true thing. Cause I, there's always going to be something that's older and more pure. And, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I totally think that you're spot on with that historical assessment, but in terms of like what it means and how it signifies the, the, the magical revival, I, I do think it's kind of like, well, you know, six, one half dozen, the other. Um, I was, I was astonished. I was, this was a couple of years ago. I was driving just outside of Jacksonville, North Carolina uh sort of sort of you know it's an army town but it was like you know maybe 30 or 40 minutes outside of jacksonville in the middle of nowhere and there is a pretty well appointed occult shop that on wow. a saturday had like five or six cars that is amazing and this is like you know i'm passing i'm passing uh just neighborhoods and, and trailers and you know. And then there's the occult shop. That's there's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah cool. it was wild. Um, and uh, I think, I mean, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny that it should feel so out of place because, I mean, there was a time when, you know, everybody was into their own sort of folk practice. Oh, yeah. And so well, yeah, it's, it's really interesting work. to see that coming back. Yeah. It's really interesting to see that coming back, though. Um, um, and I think it's reflected in. I mean, I think it's reflected in a lot of things. I think the number of people that I talk to about magic now who don't immediately like roll their eyes or scoff is almost like unsettlingly, like the people are almost unsettlingly receptive. It's like, I don't have to sell you on what I mean by this. And they're like, no, I <laughs> yeah, that, that is new. That is fairly new too. Yeah I, 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 yeah. I don't know what it is. Sorry. Go ahead. I had a, uh, 
pagan bookstore back in the 90s. And Let Kendra go. Yeah, I was gonna. So, okay. yeah, it is new. I, I wonder how much of that is social media. And more people are saying, hey, I experienced this. And it puts other people in a place where they could say, you know, I, I experienced this too. And there is kind of a kind of a group consciousness kind of happening where everybody's starting to be able to talk about it. And it becomes more of a conversation and not just, you know, something no one ever talks about. Or you don't know how to bring it up to other people because you don't know how receptive they're going to be. If people just share, you know, memes about it or discuss it. Um, and other people kind of join in the conversation. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. Um, and also just media in general. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the, the sort of depictions of... I think the, the depictions of yeah. occultism in like in media and film and in, in, in literature has gotten a lot better. Yeah. Not, not more accurate, but like not as less satanic panic. Yeah. Um, you know, that For which we are grateful. <laughs> well, and I kind of wonder, and I never really, I never really like broke apart religious cyclic histories of this, but I, I've always wondered if you couldn't conceptualize and there are a lot of problems with this, so we, we can dissect it if you want to, but I kind of wondered if, if there's not a cyclical model of overall blanket, quote-unquote, religion of, um, you know, paganism leading to religiosity as a way to, you know, well, like, you know, like, well, we gotta, we got we to gotta codify this around one central figure and cut out all the other gods. So paganism to, to religiosity that leads to a rise in atheism because as you know, as a, as a reaction to the religiosity and then paganism arises as a reaction to the, to the, to the atheism. And then you just keep on going around that cycle again and again. And again. I, I think there's something to that from a historical pattern perspective. It's like the fashion um, of thought. Yeah. I, wonder. I, I also think, well, I, I think it's not so much that I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like a natural progress that happens within one culture. Like I, I don't think you, a group of humans in one place will naturally go through all of those. I think that what tends to happen is you start with sort of basic spirituality, paganism, and then it does start to become codified, mm -hmm. but you keep polytheism you just have codified polytheism because that hangs around okay yeah extensively like that's still hanging around in india mm -hmm. they pretty I much have the oldest religious culture ever from the anywhere. arrival of a colonizer with a form of monotheism yes. however okay. okay yeah tends to destroy it or when two polytheistic cultures will go to war with each other they either do what the romans used to do which would be just adopt the other culture's gods, <laughs> Steal after, the other they, gods. Yeah, yeah. after they conquered you but you know it was fine it was like you know we don't care you can totally worship blah but you also have to respect the roman state religion right. which wasn't which was the deification of the emperor right um yeah. so you i think i think it's this like weird push and pull between different cultures at different parts of that natural cycle with and then them clashing and and conquest and change happening i do think it's interesting that we so yeah yes to everything that you said um 
I do think it's interesting that we're seeing this sort of magical revival discussion of, 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 of all that coming out of this really gross uh, sort of new science, atheistic sort of thing. That I think is natural. I think that's really, I think that's really interesting to me. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting. (laughs) I think that's really interesting. That's what I should have said. Um, (laughs) No, I I think you had that right on the money. I think you were right about the whole cycle too, by the way. Just, I think there was, there's independent action between All the terms problematic too, you know. I'm um, flailing my hands around. Yeah, I know. If anybody can't see, we're we're talking with our hands. But yeah, the the, the terms are problematic too. Um, But uh, it'll be interesting to see somebody come up with like a cycle model along those lines and have different ones adapted to different, to different cultures and whatnot. Um, no, I, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to see like cultural, cultural stressors and how they affect the religion mm. belief system. So when people are afraid, they lean towards author- authoritarianism because they just need somebody with a damn answer. You know, yeah. what kind of, you know, would famine, you know, create a more authoritarian government. And once the famine declines, people are more likely to just kind of relax and go, okay, I can believe in other stuff because I don't need somebody telling me when to eat kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, that's another good point too. Also, um, John Keel back in the 60s and 70s noticed sort of predict he noticed and sort of predicted that there would be a big rise in paganism mysticism um ouija board use and attributed it in part to the influence of ufos and contactees and i he wasn't wrong he wasn't wrong and i wonder how much of it is weird you know everybody always talks about how aliens are the contactee phenomena and the abduction phenomena are creating a form of a new mythos like i see lots of authors talk about that i mean this is obviously my my biases speaking but i just find everybody who doesn't adhere strictly to the extraterrestrial hypothesis their work tends to age really damn well. <laughs> yeah. You know, once right. you start talking about these bigger, broader strokes that have to do with the human condition and with, I mean, because in some sense we are, we are kind of the main event, right? I mean, this is all, these are all stories of human perception. Not that we're the center of the universe and not that we shouldn't respect our reality and our world and all the creatures in it, but like all these stories that we talk about, in, in the paranormal are all filtered through and are affecting human perception. And when, when you talk about these broader strokes of what affects mankind, I think that that, that approach to the paranormal really does tend to age better in the long term. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. Kendra, you had your hand up. No, I have my, no, I'm, Okay. I didn't. I promise. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and thank Joshua for coming and talking with us. You're welcome back anytime. Yeah. Thanks for letting me ramble. But honestly, this was one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had in a really long time. Yay. Yay. It was awesome to have you here. Yes. It was awesome. We may be really not very professional in our recording abilities, but 
we bring the fun conversations. So Oh no, you know, y'all can hang. Y'all can hang, that's for sure. Excellent. Until next time, keep your eyes on the skies. And salt across your doorstep. Don't talk to the fairies. Shh, don't say the F word. I didn't say but not that one, the other one. What? Fair? Yeah, fat. Don't say that. Okay, what do you want me to say? Don't talk to the good folk. Fine. Just talk to the bad folk. Yeah, no, you know, that that doesn't really work either. Okay, just don't talk to anybody. That's better. Mom.